We're going to take our Bibles tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want to say thank you again for praying for us. And thank you also for food that's being given to us through the week. And uh, and bought and paid for and prepared. And also uh, uh, love offerings that have been given. And all of it is a blessing to us, and if I can, if you'll let me, and just give me this, this exit of writing thank you notes. If you'll let me say thank you to all of you tonight, that would help me tremendously. And I do, try to say, I do like writing thank you notes, because I want you to know that we appreciate it. I'm way behind. So if you'll let me just make a blanket statement of thank you, and know that it's from our heart, I'd appreciate that. Uh, Shiloh does go in uh, tomorrow. This is the second of what they called the kitchen sink treatment. And so this will be another four to five day stay, uh, 24 hour chemo. So it's very hard on her. So if you pray for her, uh, we'd be grateful. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter number one. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know what this passage is about. And I'm going to begin in verse number three. I'm going to read down to verse number 7, and then we're going to be looking at a number of places in the Scriptures tonight, I believe, and uh, I hope probably to put you in remembrance of something. I don't think I'm going to teach you anything that you don't know or understand, but I do want to put you in remembrance of some things, and then I'd also like to maybe just stir you up in a couple of matters tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Just that phrase is comforting, isn't it? The God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so... Our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Father, help us tonight, and help me to have a clear mind, and I want to be a help to your people tonight, and I know I can't do that without the fullness of the Spirit. And I pray, God, in spite of the, the, the temperature in the room, and, and maybe even some things that are going on in life tonight, you'd help us to set those things aside, have our affection on things above, let the Word of God do what it's intended to do tonight. And we'll give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time I preached, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on lessons from the storm. And uh, walking away from that, there were several things that I I would have liked to have said and just time didn't permit. But as I meditated on it further, it seemed that the Lord kept directing me back to what do you do with the lessons from the storm? It's one thing to learn them. What do you do with it? You know, if you're being taught something, but what do you do with it once you've been taught? And so I've just been thinking about that subject uh, for the last couple of weeks and uh, trying to study where I can 
to put Scripture to the thought. Sometimes you have a thought you think sounds profound, and then you get to the Scriptures, you find out you're, you're just all wet. You didn't know what you were talking about. But as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, God takes us through storms, and we can learn many lessons, but I know this, that we must yield to Him in the storm. We must yield to Him in the storm. And I'm sure you can put a lot of Scripture verses that go with that. I want to keep moving because I want to really try to get to a couple of points tonight. But the second thing I know about uh, going through a storm or a troubling time in life is not only do you have to yield to Him, but you have to pay attention to what He's saying to you, what He's trying to teach you. Uh, You parents, you understand that sometimes you can say something and your children will be looking at you and even nodding their head or saying, okay, it doesn't mean they heard what you said. I know that when, the, when our kids were little, our two older ones were little, uh, they were in the same bedroom. Where, this is in Australia, of course, and uh, I, don't, I don't know how many nights passed. I counted it once, but uh, I don't know how many nights passed where they got a, the Board of Education on the seat of learning every single night for months and months and months because they kept doing the same thing. I'd put them in bed, tell them to stay in bed. They wouldn't stay in bed. I'd have to take care of business. They weren't learning the lesson. They weren't hearing what I was teaching them. And I think about what the psalm writer said in Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Can you say that in your storm? In your time of trouble and hardship? Father, thank you. This is good for me to be afflicted. But why? It's not just good to be afflicted, and I'm glad the psalm writer didn't finish there because he goes on to say that I might learn thy statutes. One of the great truths about going through times of trouble and storm and hardship and, and suffering is that God is teaching us His Word. And He's teaching us about Him as we go through the time of trouble. Now, the lessons that we learn are intended to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says about Jesus that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Isn't that hard to get your mind around? The Son of God had to learn obedience through suffering. I don't think that if he had to learn obedience through suffering, you and I are going to escape that. So I think we're going to have to learn to look at it maybe differently than our Human nature wants to look at it, because when trouble comes, probably we are all very much alike. The first thing we're saying is, God, get us out of this, and as fast as you can. And God's saying, I don't want to get you out of this as fast as I put you here for a reason. And he's trying to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And that is the end result of everything that God's doing in our life, be it the preaching of the Word of God in a church service, be it the time of trouble in our life, be it... Uh, the blessings that He gives to us in our life. Everything is meant to work to the end that we would be like Jesus Christ. That's what He wants from us. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, just look over there if you would. And I know the context is slightly different here, but the principle again remains intact. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? We're, we're looking at something. We're looking, and sometimes it's a glass darkly. Sometimes we're trying to see Him clearly, and, 
And uh, each of us has, at this point in our Christian life, we have a view of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord himself, and we see it, but we don't see it plainly and clearly yet. And so God will allow things like trouble to come into our life, and as we're going through that trouble, we are now beholding him a little bit more clearly than we were before, because he's revealing more of himself to us, and now we're seeing him as he is. And, and he's revealing in us then that change as we start seeing him and it begins to work in our hearts and change us, then we begin to look more like him. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. So God is working in all of us and wherever you're at in your trouble tonight, and again, this is really going to center around trouble, although I know that it's not just applicable to that, but Wherever you're at in your trouble tonight, I hope that you understand something, that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much. And just because you're in some sort of trouble, the first question you need to ask is not why, as we looked at last time. And it's not, what did I do wrong? It's, Lord, what do you want to make of me? What are you changing me? Take comfort in that. But don't stop there. Because the next step in that is that God isn't giving us this to just change me or you alone. Everything that God's doing in our lives as believers is linked very intimately to other believers. There is a broader purpose in the buyer family for the trouble that we're in than just the buyer family. God is looking down and he, He's looking at... and. and if you don't know, for some reason the Lord has made this thing just a global thing. We've got people literally around the globe praying for our family, and they've been taken into this trial with us, which is great, again, just a great thing to us and a marvel to us. But you understand that because He allowed us to go into this time and He's bringing everybody in, we have an opportunity for God to be at work in all of the lives of these people, all of the churches. I, I tell you, uh, the other day we, we received a love offering from a church. I have absolutely no idea who they are. I, I don't know anybody that lives in that area. I have no idea, no clue. And they said, we've been praying for you since we heard about it. What is God doing? He is taking the trouble of one and making it work to the end of Everybody gets a chance to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing to me, to be a part of something like that. So there's a broader purpose. When you look in the Scriptures, you see that God recorded many things, many things, that happened to other people, and He used it to teach you and I. We could spend all night going through the lessons learned in Scripture because of somebody else. And I know the canon of Scripture is closed, but the lessons of Scripture are not finished. And you can go through trouble, and God is going to teach you, and then He's going to teach everybody around you that you have influence in their life in some way. I think about this principle, again, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What are we doing? Well, we're reading about David. We're reading about Joseph. We're reading about Amos. We're reading about these men and these women in the Word of God, and we see the trouble that they went through and the problems that they had, and we look at it and we say, man, look what God can teach us through that. And you know what God does? And I I just, I really want you to 
take what I'm saying, understanding I know the Bible is complete, and I'm not saying that Scripture is still being written, but there are very much some stories being written today in the lives of people, and God's using that in the same way He used the Old Testament Scriptures, the things written aforetime, to say, I can learn from that. I, I can watch somebody go through trouble, and I can see how they go through that trouble, and I can say, man, I see Jesus Christ in them, in this way they behave, and that way they respond, and the words that they use, and the way that they pray, and I want some of that. God helped that to be true in me too. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11, Now all these things that happened unto them, unto Israel... For in samples, so let me say it, let me read it again, I misread it. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yeah, I would take, uh, we'll take Brother Hoots and, and the illustration he gave this morning of his doctor pestering him until he finally went in and, and had uh, the test done to find out that he was a shoe, you know, just a thread away from eternity. And you can look at things like that and you can say, you know, I I watched him now approach that time in his life and I watched how he handled his family and how he handled the church affairs. And then as another preacher, I can look at that and I can say, I see Christ in those things. That I want that. Or I see how he dealt with things in his personal life and and I want some of that. And we're not praising Brother Hoots, although honored whom honors do, but we're praising the God who worked it in him. And then worked it out of him. And I'm learning from him in the same way that I'm learning as I read the scriptures about somebody in the Old Testament who had a trouble and they went through the trouble and I learned something about the Lord. Now I want to bring in an associated thought here if I can. I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And really I've laid already the premise that I want to deal with tonight. But let's just go ahead and get some scriptures attached to it. Now, as you're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, I want you to hear Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's a reference to the church, the body of Christ. And every believer is, again, intimately tied together in Christ. We're all connected. Now, I know that some of us don't know each other very well tonight. But this I know, that if you know Christ as your Savior, we are connected by the fiber of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of those things, he tells us that we're to weep with those who weep, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we just have this connection with one another. That's why you can go to another church, or you can meet new Christians when they come here, and you can have an instant connection with them because they know the same Savior, and that's God bringing in the body parts together. Now, I want you to look at something here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. This is some good doctrinal teaching right here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 12. We'll read down to verse number 14. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Uh, can I say this, that there's a church over in Australia, Queen Bee and Bible Baptist Church. You guys are linked together with them through Christ. And that's true globally, wherever you go. All right, verse number 13. 
For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. But many. All right, so we're all tied together. We're, we're linked by God's design, members of his flesh and of his bones. So what, what's the result of that? What does that mean? Well, he tells us, verse number 15. Now, we've got to read a little bit more here. We're going to read a li- little bit lengthy passage. So I just want you to understand what I'm getting at. You and I, we need each other. I need you. And I hate to tell you, but you need me. <laughs> All right. Verse number 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? But, you know, by the way, before I read any further, while I have this thought, you know what one of the, the blessings and the need of a local church is? It helps you put this into practice. It's a struggle if you get away from the local assembly. I didn't say you weren't a Christian. I didn't say you didn't love the Lord. But there are going to be elements in your life that become a real struggle and a real battle, and you're going to miss out on a lot of things by distancing yourself from the local body. All right, let's read on. Verse number 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not... Not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I'll tell you what I have right now, is I have the body that can't make up its mind whether I need glasses or don't need glasses when I'm reading. And the distance is just right, I can't work it out. Verse number 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where are the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased me, because I get to decide where I want to be. No, where it's pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Did you get that? Verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Christian, whatever's going on in your life tonight, He is trying to make you like Jesus Christ. But it's not just for you. It's for everybody around you. And everyone that God brings into your path that you can have some influence on them. I take this and understand this to mean that we need each other at different times when it comes to some guidance. Because I know there's a lot of times I, you know, I try to be wise and I try to know the Word of God and I try to order my steps right and there's sometimes I just don't know. And I need somebody to guide me. Somebody who's been down a similar path and God's taught them something. 
I need it coming and teaching and comforting in weeping, in rejoicing, in suffering, in being honored. I need it all, and so do you. And not any one of us has everything that God has to offer. Not every one of us has gone through every experience in life that can be experienced in life. But somebody has. And when we come into contact then we can learn from them. We can help one another out. We can lift up hands that hang down and we can strengthen feeble knees. God, why are you sending me through this? No. No, thank you, Lord, for sending me through this. And then my next step is, God, show me now how you want me to use this. Now, I'm not talking about imposing ourselves on people and running around, you know, saying, hey, you know, I understand. By the way, I am very careful with that phrase, I understand. I don't really particularly like saying that because I don't always understand what I think I understand. And sometimes the details are different from what I went through. I don't understand. I might be able to comprehend some things, but I'm mighty careful about saying, I understand. But every now and again, Brother Lewis, you might enter into a trial just like the Beyer family. And I can say, Brother, I I understand what's going on in your heart. Have you ever had those moments that you say, Man, I understand. This part of that. And you start telling, you say, you know, God showed me this and this, and I remember feeling like this and thinking like this. And they say, yeah, that's exactly the way I'm thinking. That's exactly the way I'm feeling. You know what you're doing? You're taking the comfort and the wisdom and the instruction that the Holy Spirit gave you that's making you like Jesus Christ, and now you're taking that and you're ministering it to the body of Christ. And God said, I didn't waste it on you. I didn't waste what I gave you. I didn't waste what I put you through. It's not wasted on you because you're helping somebody. I think about in John chapter number 4. You remember it says there that they, he must needs go. Verse number 4. John chapter 4 and verse number 4. It says that he must needs go through Samaria. Now you think about that situation. Samaria is not a desirable place to be. Especially not for Jew. And yet it said he must needs go through Samaria. Well, why? Well, he wanted to win a woman at the well. And at least that, and at least he wanted to win some people in the city of Sychar. But he also wanted to teach the disciples some lessons about the harvest. And who knows if we meditate on that long enough and how much God shows us as you just meditate on word after word after word in those passages and see what unfolded there. What does God teach you? And, but, but how did that all come about? By Jesus saying, I'm obligated, I'm obliged to go through Samaria, the undesirable place. Well, that's a perfect illustration of what happens in our lives because there, each one of us, And I was about to say I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm not sorry to tell you. But I want to tell you that each one of us is going to go through these difficult times, the storms of life, and they're going to be a little different from you than they are from me and from someone else. But we're going to go through these storms of life, and they're undesirable. And I know how Western people think. I know our Western mindset is, get me out. 
and keep me from trouble. And God says, how am I ever going to teach you anything about me? And how am I ever going to grow you to be more like me if you don't suffer a few things? And how am I going to help the entire body if I don't put someone through it? Nobody wants to go through it. Someone's got to go through it. Let me bless you with it. And then you help somebody and accomplish my goal. It's just the undesirable place. Nobody wants to go through Samaria. But we have to. We're obliged to. I must needs go through. I didn't want to go through this with my wife and family. And the funny thing is, is he didn't ask my opinion on it. <laughs> he didn't call me and say, hey, I was thinking about running you through this. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Get back to me and give me maybe four or five thoughts that you think about all that. We're just sailing along, we think, just as normal as anyone else. And all of a sudden, God took our world and went, Poof, there. Now you do what you're going to do for a little while, and I'll be here, and I'll be ready when you're ready for me. Have you ever been there? I want to talk tonight, if you'll give me just a few minutes, and I know it's hot in here, so I'm not going to be long. I want to talk tonight about when you're going through your storm, how to learn what God wants to teach you. I'm only going to give you a few thoughts. This is not exhaustive. How to learn what God's trying to teach you, and then how to utilize it. The first thing I want to say tonight when you get into the stormy seas or the trouble in your life, is the first thing you need to do, and I mean this is the first thing you need to do, is humble yourself. You need to humble yourself. I got lots and lots of scriptures here, but let's choose one of them out. How about Job? Job, you know, he's the one we always go to when we talk about suffering, but he's a good one to go to. Although he's struggling with what God was doing and even spoke boldly at times about wanting answers from God. You ever get to those parts in the book of Job, you think, man, Job, I'd be afraid to speak that way. He said, I'm going to demand some answers from you, God. But still, he showed humility. In Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, he said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. That's humility. Whatever God's doing in my life, and as uncomfortable as it is, and even though I want some answers, God, if you choose to kill me, I still trust you. God, if you, if you choose to send my family through, or myself, or you understand, I mean my in general, not just us, but you, If it's long and protracted or if it's short, God, no matter what you do, I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to buck up. I'm not going to get stiff-necked. I'm not going to start making accusations. I'm not going to come to you and demand that you have to tell me why. I'm not doing any of that, God. I'm going to bow before you. I know that you're good. I know that you're a God of mercy. I know that you're a God of comfort. I know that you do what's right. You do all things well. God, I'm just going to get on my face before you. And let you do what you want to do. Humility. There is no way that you and I are ever going to learn what God wants us to learn in our trouble if we don't humble ourselves first. 
And if we start trying to make things up and we start trying to you know, become the big dog, and it's not going to work. And God's just going to step back and say, well, I guess you just haven't gotten far enough down yet. When you get far enough down, then I'll be able to teach you something. We need humility. I think, again, at the end of the book of Job, as uh, he's had his confrontation back and forth with his miserable comforters, and then Elihu, he's had his chance to say a few things, and then God starts in. And he starts asking question after question after question after question. And there's no response. Just long enough for Job to say, I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth. And I'm not saying another word. He humbled himself. I got nothing to say. God, I can't answer any of your questions. I don't know. Who was I to speak to you like that? Multiplying words without knowledge. He just said, I think I'm just going to shut up. Sometimes that's just humility that teaches us just to shut up. And then you get to chapter number 42. We might as well look at it. I'm just quoting them all. Look at Job chapter number 42. I'm not even quoting them. (laughs) Just talking about them. Job chapter number 42. God finally finishes doing everything that he's going to do. Job's humbled himself and accepted what God's doing. Verse four, uh, chapter 42, verse number 1. Let's read this whole, this whole little section here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. He changes his tune. He said that once before, but he had a different attitude about it. Now he's changed. Watch verse number 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I mean, he was a good man. You read Job chapter 1, what God says about him, and he was a better man than, than probably most of us will be. And he looked at himself and had a good look, and he said, man, I abhor myself. What in the world was I thinking? We've got to have some humility. The humility and the attitude that you and I showed toward the storm and trouble in our life And what's being taught will determine the extent to which we're able to profit personally from what's being taught. Further to that, the humility and attitude that we have will determine the ability that we have to minister that truth to someone else. If I I go through my trouble and all you see from me is turmoil and heartache and and disappointment, and discouragement, and, and i am got a bad attitude, and a chip on my shoulder, and I get mad and angry at God, are you going to want to hear from me at the end of that, and tell you how to get through it? I'm running the other way. I want the individual that displayed Christ. 
And even though there may have been a tear flowing down their cheek, there was a smile on their face. That's what I want. And somebody who gets out on the other side and you can say, that was Christ. And I see Jesus in you. Now I want to sit down and have a conversation with you. That's who I want to learn from. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. You know, sometimes we think that we've learned something, and so now this is what I was saying before. Don't impose yourself on people and pretend like you've got it all figured out and worked out. Now you're Anybody who goes through trouble, hey man, I understand, let me, let me tell you this, let me tell you. That's, you're going the wrong way. That's not humility, that's pride. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Man, you learn a few things in the hard times of life, and you put that away, and you say, God, thank you for teaching me that. I didn't know that before. That came from your hand. And then God brings someone into your life, and you get to say, well, let me show you something God showed me. He says, now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Because <laughs> you're prideful, that's why. First thing you're going to need to do to get through the storm is humble yourself. Second thing you need to do is submit yourself to God. And wait for Him to teach you. How many of you know what a riptide is? Okay, good. Most of us know what a riptide is. If you get caught in a riptide and you start swimming toward the shore as hard and as fast as you can, you're going to drown. That's not how it works. You get in a riptide and you better let that thing pull you along and you just swim parallel to the shore till you get out of that riptide. If somebody is drowning and a life saver comes and tries to give them a hand and they struggle and fight, which is often what happens. They struggle and fight against the person trying to save them. They'll drown both of them. The person that's being saved from drowning has to yield themselves to the person giving them a hand. And that's why sometimes it looks brutal, but if you've ever seen that, those lifesavers are trained to, they're rough, but they get in behind them where they can't be reached and they get a hold of them by the neck and get some distance between them so that they can get their face above the water but stay out of reach of their hands because they know they're going to drown them if they don't. And they got to get them calmed down and settled so they know everything's going to be okay. If you're caught in a riptide and you swim parallel to the shore, it feels like you're going out a million miles an hour. You're going to end up in the middle of the ocean. But pretty soon you'll get into those calm waters and you'll just easily make your way in. But you first have to be settled that everything's going to be okay. You've got to humble yourself, and you've got to submit yourself to what God's teaching you. You know, it's amazing, again, at the end of the book of Job here, let's read on. He says in verse number 7, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken, I'm in chapter 42, verse number 7, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job. (laughs) I love this. 
and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. And you know what happened? Job prayed for him. And the reason I point that out is because it stands out to me that instead of Job getting angry and upset and bitter at his friends, even though they, were, they really were out of line in what they said to him, you know what he didn't do when they came and asked for prayer? He didn't say, I don't care what God told you. I'm not praying for you bunch. Forget about it. He didn't say that. He says, well, I submit myself to whatever God's teaching. And if he wants me to pray for you, then that might be a lesson that I have to learn. That when people are tormenting me in my trouble and accusing me of everything under the sun that's not true, I can pray for you. And I can love you. And I can help you get right with God. Have you ever written anybody off? Who was wrong? They mistreated you. And you wrote them off and you, you wouldn't help them? As far as you're concerned, God can't use them anyway with that kind of an attitude. And you've written them off to such a degree that they wouldn't feel comfortable coming and talking to you and saying, I'm sorry. Would you pray for me? I mean, Joseph illustrates a great illustration of forgiveness. but So does Job. I'll pray for you. That's submission to what God's doing in my life. Would you agree with that? Paul had to submit himself when he was saying, Lord, why do I have this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan? Why do I have it? Take it away. No. Or take it away. I can serve you better without it. No. <laughs> Lord, remove the thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger of Satan. It's buffeting me, and I can't serve you the way I want to serve you. Remove the thorn. Paul, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, then I will gladly glory in mine infirmities. For when I'm weak, then he's strong. You know what that is? That is submission to what God's doing in my life. Think about David. One more, and then we'll, we'll finish up. But David, in 1 Samuel chapter number 30, and all those men were accusing him of being the, the, to blame for Ziklag having been sacked and burned, and the wives and children and all their goods carried away, and they're speaking of stoning him. And he doesn't have Jonathan there to lift up his hands. He doesn't have someone to encourage him. And the men that are closest to him are the ones leading the charge about killing him. And you know what he did? He submitted himself and encouraged himself in the Lord. And it was at that point that his mind and heart became settled. And he said, you know what? I'm going to seek after God. Go get that, go get that, uh, what was the Urim and Thumb? The ephod, that's it. Get that ephod and let's seek the Lord. And God says, you go. You know that David didn't get direction on what to do next until he was settled to submit to what God was doing in his life. And then he just said, God, I'm going to do whatever you want. And sometimes we can't get direction because we won't get settled and submitted. Again, I want to say, and I've just written some things down. I want to make sure I get them because I felt like they were important. So please let me read, but... 
Submitting ourselves to God and what He is teaching us in the storm steadies and clears our hearts and minds. And secondly, it reveals some truths about me and some things that need some changing and repenting and correcting. And again, many of you have been there and you're down and you're down and you're down and you're weeping and you're crying and you want things to change. And the more you seek God and submit to God, He says, can I just show you something about you? And you think, oh my. I abhor myself. I abhor myself. God, I am so sorry I'm like that. But He also reveals things about Himself. And you get that big smile back on your face and you think, oh man, He's a good God. And I didn't know that so bad. I didn't know that so well about Him. I didn't know that He was so good. He's so merciful. I had no idea the depths of that. Thirdly, help others. Humble yourself, submit yourself, and then help someone else. And that was why I laid the groundwork in the beginning about us being the body of Christ and being linked together. The reason God gives you something is to help somebody. And I know you, I, I've heard it all. Well, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a kind of person who likes to be around people. That, that's something God needs to change about you. God wants to help you to be around people and help them. You don't have to be a type A personality, but you can get out and help somebody. So we read in our opening verses that we're to comfort other people with the same comfort that God gave us. Now here's a beautiful thing. Now I'm going to comfort somebody, or they're going to comfort someone else, and then God's at the same time, He's going to give them a measure of comfort that nobody gave to Him. God gave it to them. And now they got a little bit more than any of us could have given them. And then they find somebody that needed, needs a hand, and they take that, that morsel that was given them, and they minister that, and someone else ministers, and then God shows them some comfort different again, and, and now they've got a little bit more. And then down the track somewhere, I need comfort again, and now this person that's two or three or four times removed is coming and ministering to me some things that God comforted them with, and they learned from other people, and I'm getting comfort again. And God's showing me something. And it just keeps working and growing, and we're helping each other. We need to help somebody with comfort. We need to help somebody with cheer. You remember when Paul in Acts chapter number 27 was stuck in that storm, Eurocladon? And uh, th- by the way, there are some storms that the only thing you escape with is your life. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. You don't have anything left. But you got your life. And you know, Paul didn't land on Melita there with the band and just sook and cry and carry on and oh man, you know, God, you did this to me and all I was trying to do is serve you. He ends up ministering to the people on Melita and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God. I forgot why I was telling you that. <laughs> yeah, cheer. They're in the middle of this storm. You know what you don't want? You don't want a guy who doesn't know anything about boats saying, hey guys, cheer up. But he says to him, he said, you know what? If you'd have listened to me, we should have never left that fair haven. But we did. I was right and I told you so. But be of good cheer. I've, I've met with an angel tonight 
And he said that everybody's going to be okay. We're going to make it. So cheer up. And the boat's still moving back and forth. And they're throwing everything overboard. And they haven't eaten in 14 days. 14 days. Cheer up. But here's what he says. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And that's what you and I can do. Again, you know, with I can come to Brother Lewis. I can come to one of you. One of you ladies can come to one of the other ladies and say, Hey, listen, be of good cheer. I believe God. And so he tells them, he says, You need to take some of this bread and eat. And in the middle of all of that storm, they haven't eaten in two weeks. And it looks like they're going to die. And in fact, the soldiers were talking about killing the prisoners and somebody talked them out of it for Paul's sake. And, the, and you read there in Acts chapter number 27, and they're, he's praying over the meal and they're taking bits of bread and eating it. And they're of good cheer. Because you can minister cheer to somebody in the midst of your storm and cheer them up in the middle of their storm. You might be going down the same path. You can cheer them up. You can show forgiveness. All right, I'm going to finish up with this. I promise you, I'm almost done. What are the outcomes of some suffering in our life and handling it the right way? Look these up with me, if you would. Philippians chapter number 1. I promise you, I'm, I'm coming to an end. Philippians chapter number 1. When we handle these things the right way, we learn the lessons, and then we minister the way God wants us to minister. These are, these are some of the results that you'll find. Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 12. Now, Paul's writing from prison. We know that. Another meth lab blew up. Yeah, that's it. Philippians chapter number 1, he's in the middle of his prison sentence. He's, he's suffered a lot of abuse even at this point in his ministry. Verse number 12, But I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You know what I want in my life and what I want in your life when you go through a troubling time and hardship and heartache and all of that? You know what I want? I want the gospel to go forth. I want people to hear the gospel message. I want, at MD Anderson, I want doctors and nurses and anyone who will stop and listen to hear us when we say, we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, and we're disappointed in the way things are going, but we are not discouraged and beyond despair, because we know where she's going, if, you, if God takes her home, and you can know that too. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? And I'm telling you, Gospel tract after God. And, and by the way, this is not to the praise of us. Please understand that. But I'm telling you, we have been able to give out so many gospel tracts to people. And you'd be amazed at how somebody like a doctor will stand there and listen to you when you say, well, that's disappointing. But we're okay with that because we know God's in charge. They don't hear that very often. So whatever trouble you're in, make sure that it falls out to the furtherance of the gospel. Don't clam up. All right, number one. That's number one, the furtherance of the gospel. Number two, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Now, I just quoted this before, so let's, I'm going to rewrite through it and make my point, and I'll move on. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I... 
should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, I might de- that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The second thing I want to say should come out of our suffering is contentment and encouragement for others to be contented. And that's what we get from that passage. Thirdly, we should get a greater view of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples, Matthew chapter 8, are out on the first stormy sea, and he's with them, and they think they're going down, and they wake him up, and he stands up and rebukes the sea, And calms it, peace be still. And it says in verse number 27, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Your storm should have, it should end with you having a greater view of God. And lastly, John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16. You guys okay? I know it's hot. I thought it was going to be shorter than this. John chapter number 16, verse number 20. John 16, 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Isn't that good? And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. The last thing I want you to see, coming from our suffering, our trouble, our trial, our storms in life that should come out of it, is an expectation and a greater anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. On my heart, your heart should be turned even more. I know we're, we're to love his appearing, and many of you do. But there's more. There is more love that can be given to that. God, I want to see you even more. And there's a lot of times that you and I are going through some great trouble and some dark valleys and all of that. And you know what we're doing? We're saying, God, I I really just want to be home. And I know it sounds funny sometimes, but that's our heart's cry. God, all of the sorrow and the sin brought into this world, and even in my own life, God, I, I really would just like to go home. Just see you again. I think that should be an outcome of our suffering. A more expectant view of going home. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Do you agree with that? There is no storm that you're going through that is greater than your God. But make sure that you humble yourself and submit to it. Let him teach you something. And then don't hoard it. Take it and minister that to someone else. All right, Father, thank you for the blessing of being able to preach the Word of God and the blessing of being able to have a few tears and a few troubles in our life. Thank you for that. You really have blessed us with that. Now I pray for your people tonight. I don't know what you've done in the heart of anyone tonight. Maybe, Lord, this was just for me. But whatever you've done, I pray, God, that you help each one of us to respond the way you desire And let you do your perfect work in us, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.